Welcome to our podcast, Revelation Conversations. I'm Steve Goebel, and I'm here with Kyle Hatfield, one of the members of our teaching team who works in Christian publishing and is a teacher in our School of Bible and School of Ministry. And then we also have Ken Carson, who's on our teaching team. He's one of uh, our church's uh, elders. Uh, Kyle, Ken, thanks again for joining me and being here today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I want to start by giving you, our listeners, our purpose behind this. Uh, we're hoping to utilize this time to unpack more from the book of Revelation and to supplement the Sunday teachings as our church, Ecclesia Eugene, goes through the book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation can be very overwhelming for people, so we're hoping to bring more clarity uh, to what we're talking about so people can understand, because as we've already read and looked at, uh, Revelation promises a blessing uh, to those who read it out loud, to those who apply it to their lives, and so that's something that we really hold on to. Today, we're going to start our series on Q&A. In other words, the questions that you, our listeners, have sent in, we're going to start responding to those, and we're not going to be responding to all of them today, so if you ask a question and we don't get to it today, just hold tight. We will get to it. Uh, and the reason for some of that is because uh, we're only uh, right now uh, in chapters 15 and 16, and we haven't gotten to the end of Revelation yet. And so some of the questions that have come in, we're going to answer in the sermons that are coming up. But for the rest of the questions, we are going to address those uh, as well. So why don't I just start off here? Uh, one of the first questions we got was in relation to uh, the tribe of Dan. And and in chapter 7 uh, in the book of Revelation, the tribe of Dan is actually excluded uh, from the sealed servants of God. Um, and, and the question here is in relation to, you know, surely uh, other tribes as, as well sinned and, and fell away from God uh, throughout their history. And so why uh, does it seem like the tribe of Dan is essentially being singled out and then excluded here? So we actually don't know why the tribe of Dan is not mentioned in Revelation. There's nothing in the passage that tells us um, why he doesn't include it. Um, and so a lot of this is just conjecture on our part. Uh, you know, there are a, a lot of commentators who would say that it, it was because Dan uh, was a tribe that um, was noted for idolatry in particular um, under uh, the reign of Jeroboam. That's where the... the golden calf was set up and the worship of the golden calf was at. And so there, there would be some indication maybe that there was more sin in that tribe than others, but, but it really is conjecture on our part. We, we don't really know. And so I think we have to be hesitant to try to extrapolate from the missing tribe here uh, into any sort of theological conclusions because we just don't have enough information. Yeah, I agree. Uh, sometimes there is a, a temptation for us to go, man, I've got to understand and figure that out. And uh, the book of Revelation is clear where it needs to be. And 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 when it's not clear, uh, you know, I, I think that for us, we have to acknowledge that, you know, and there are certain conclusions that we're not going to be able to arrive at uh, until essentially we're in heaven face-to-face -face, uh, with God. And so, uh, we we don't know. There are, though, a lot of different thoughts or opinions as to uh, why, but we're, we're not going to go down those rabbit holes. We're going to try and give you guys 
clear and concise answers to these uh, questions. Uh, the next question is, uh, essentially, if revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ, why does it generate so much confusion and so many interpretations? Wouldn't God want to be perfectly clear and concise in his revelation? It's a great question. Uh, either of you guys want to start uh, with that? I know that definitely I have some thoughts, too, with that. Well, I think the key is the first part of the question where it says, if revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ, why would it generate so much confusion? I what I don't think there's any confusion about is who is Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. Nobody, regardless of their theological background, is debating who mm -hmm. Jesus is and what he means and how he's going to be coming back as king to, to rule and reign and, and to conquer. And so that part, I think, in Revelation is very clear and very concise. And so if we, if we just hold on to that, yeah, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's clear and concise. Well, and the imagery— of, of Jesus, the resurrected Savior. Very clear, you know, uh, as far as just the imagery is so rich uh, for that. I also think when we think of Revelation, uh, what one of the main uh, points was, was also to describe the current state of the church. And I think that's very, very clear uh, as we look at uh, Revelation. It's very clear what the issues are in the church, what they're dealing with, the opposition, the temptations, and, um, and I also think what's very clear for us in Revelation uh, is what the opposition is going to look like. And so I, I think that one of the things, and I think I referenced this just a minute ago, is uh, he's always clear on the essentials. And when it comes to the revelation of Jesus, my goodness, is Jesus just shines through. Uh, and so, yes, there are areas that we're left trying to figure out what does this look like, uh, how literal, how symbolic. Uh, you know, and we're and we're going back into the Old Testament to to try to put the pieces together. But Revelation actually, at its core, is very clear where it needs to be clear. I think what's challenging for us is we have so many writers, so many pastors that have filled in the gaps and gone in different directions with that, and that's that's made it more difficult, honestly, for us to try to seek clarity with this. And, and so I think that sometimes when we're tempted to go down all these different opinions and look at all these different resources and books, we have to step back and go, whoa, where is he really clear? And when you look at that, it honestly, it's clear. And I think another thing to remember is Revelation is a book that's written to a people in a completely different culture, a completely different mindset, different language 2,000 years ago. And so there's a lot that just gets lost in translation where we are trying to work our way backwards mm. and they already have the background information they've been more steeped in the old testament than we have they are familiar uh, with the the different ancient mythologies and imagery that is being pulled into revelation and repurposed uh, for jesus's truth and and purposes and so um i think it's easy to get caught up on how it's confusing for us but I do think that it's reasonable to believe that it wasn't as confusing for the original viewers. Now, that doesn't mean they knew everything, obviously, mm -hmm. because even in the early church, there was debate about timing and things like that. But I do think that, as with a lot of scripture, it was less confusing for the original readers than it is for us in 2000 or 2023. What year are we in? <laughs> it's hard to keep track these days. I, I do want to take a look at the last part of the question is, wouldn't God want to be perfectly clear and concise in his revelation? And, and I think 
God is perfectly clear in the things that he wants to be perfectly clear. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true, but I don't know that necessarily we are expected to understand everything fully. Even Jesus taught in parables, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you know, so there, there are times in which there is things that are a little bit shaded that God has within the scripture, but the things he wants us to know, those are clear. Mm-hmm. And so we need to make sure as we're reading, as we're studying, don't let the, the things that are perfectly clear uh, confuse us into making wrong decisions on the things that aren't, you yeah. know, let's, let's go with the, the, the clarity and the book of Revelation, that's that's the revelation of Jesus. That's where we need to put our focus. And, and and the things that are clear in Scripture, what I also love is they're not one-offs. They're never one-offs. He also mm-hmm. reaffirms them throughout Scripture. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so I think there's a lot of trust you can have in that a, as well uh, when he uh, continues to affirm, reaffirm uh, things that are the essentials to our faith. Mm-hmm. Um. The next uh, question here is actually in relation to another pastor and ministry. And the question is, uh, have you heard of Pastor Matt Chandler at the Village Church in Flower Mound, Texas, and his sermon series on Revelation? Yes, I have. Uh, I'm familiar with uh, Pastor Matt Chandler, and um, I'm also familiar with his sermon series on Revelation, although I have not listened to his sermon series uh, on Revelation. Um, but the question continues uh, in regards to that. If so, I uh, wanted to know what my thoughts are on the on his series. And uh, I, I tend to respect what Matt Chandler says and appreciate the work he does, but I haven't once again heard his series on the book of Revelation, so I can't really speak to that. But one of the questions is in regards to one of the things he taught was the idea that the mark of the beast is symbolic and not a physical mark, and that the, as far as the marks go, the right hand representing worldly actions and the forehead representing worldly ideology in present time. You guys want to pick up on that, or do you want me to carry on that one? I, I haven't heard the series either. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I haven't either, so I, I have I have nothing more to say than, than what you've said already. Yeah, and I would just say in response to... Uh, what Matt Chandler wrote as far as what those uh, physical marks represent and mean, uh, that's not clear in Scripture, um, although, you know, where he's arriving at, could you could totally take, uh, a, you could take that away as far as you could um, come away with a, a belief that those are representing something like that. So I don't think he's out of bounds uh, in his opinion there, but it is, ultimately, it's an opinion. Um, that that he's giving in regards to uh, that, because we don't know. We don't know with clarity, with certainty, what that you know, whether it's symbolic or a physical mark. We're not we're not sure. No, I'd agree with that. I I, I think we we're not sure if it's symbolic or physical. Right. Um, right. There, it could be either. Uh, yeah. And I think uh, we need to have hold that a little bit with an open hand. And when we're when we're asking that question, so I, I don't think Chandler's necessarily wrong if that's his position. Um, but I can't affirm it from scripture either. So, right. Yeah. And it's once again, what, what's the main point of the mark of the beast, whether it's symbolic or physical is, is that you, you are choosing to be marked by the beast and the ways yeah. of the beast and say, I belong to him in his ways, not marked by Jesus. And I belong to him in his ways. Yep. The next question that we have here, here is does Malachi four five possibly support Elijah as one of the witnesses in the book of Revelation, or does it perhaps only pertain to when 
Jesus was on earth during his ministry. Um, I would just say in, in response to that, we get a lot more clarity on Malachi 4-5 from Matthew chapter 17 and Luke chapter 1, verse 17, when Jesus actually talks about that passage in regards to John the Baptist. In fact, I'll read Luke chapter 1, 17, uh, and, and this is literally the birth of John the Baptist being foretold. And in Luke 1, 17, it says, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Uh, and then in, in Matthew chapter 17, uh, in the transfiguration, and Elijah is one of those, uh, it says uh, in verse uh, 10, and the disciples asked him, uh, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. And then look at what it says in verse 13. It says, then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. And so uh, the mention of Elijah was to, uh, was to announce the Messiah's arrival. So John the Baptist was a type of Elijah at Christ's first advent. And, and it's likely here that, that the next witness will also be Elijah-like versus uh, Elijah himself. Yeah, th th this question isn't a random question. Because right. when you look at Revelation chapter 11, verse 6, it says that these two witnesses are going to have the power to shut the sky so that no may, rain may fall during their prophesying. Uh, and that's exactly what Elijah did in, mm -hmm. in during the time of King Ahab. He was able to pray that there would be a drought, uh, and that was a way to emphasize you know, the, the, the judgment of God against Israel at that moment. So there is a sense in which this coming witness, whatever, whatever this witness is, will have some of that same spirit of or power that Elijah has. But you'll also note in verse 6 of, of Revelation 11, it says that these two witnesses also will have the power to turn the waters to blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague. And so mm -hmm. there's also uh, an indication there that there's also not just the spirit or the power of Elijah coming in these witnesses, but also of Moses, because mm -hmm. it's taking us back and reminding us of Exodus. Yep. And so it's interesting that you brought up the, the transfiguration. I think this is also supposed to kind of give us a, a picture or a a reminder of the transfiguration because it's Elijah and Moses that mm -hmm. are with Jesus on the mountain. Yep. Um, and so there's, I, I don't know that we would necessarily say that these are exactly Elijah and Moses, but there are certainly people who are coming with the power or in the image of, or in the type of mm -hmm. an Elijah or a Moses. Mm -hmm. um, the next question here is, is asking for uh, further explanation of the third judgment diagram that was shown during church? And um, could there be a further breakdown of pros and cons uh, on the the top two end-time viewpoints in Scripture that supports uh, each? And what can be difficult about this question for some of you that maybe uh, haven't been on a Sunday is this question is specifically in regards to three diagrams that that we've shown on Sunday at the gatherings. Uh, and, and those three uh, graphs essentially are in um, they pertain to the judgments, and they're different viewpoints on the judgments. And the first graph, the first diagram, was uh, the view that that the the judgments that we read about are 
are are literally one after the other. And so we see three sets of seven judgments. And so that viewpoint is that they all just happen directly in, in order, just literal order. And so there's 21, one right after the other. So that's, that's that first graph. Uh, the second graph that I showed was essentially the three sets of judgments. They're all three uh, describing and, and showing us the same thing. They're just showing us from different angles. And, and maybe I haven't uh, described that as well as I could have or should have. Uh, so I'll take responsibility for that. <laughs> but, but essentially, uh, you know, the graph had them on top of each other to show that they're all within each other. They're all showing and describing the same things from different viewpoints. Uh, and so they're contained within each other. And that also is a lot of the third graph. Uh, it, it, it's not that different. The third graph shows that it is specifically within those seventh judgments, the next seven is contained within it. And so there's overlap in that third graph. You guys want to? Yeah. I don't, th Should th we tell them where which sermon this is first so that they, they can look it up if they, they don't remember this? I know I brought up the graph a couple different times. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the only challenge there is. That's fair. Is, uh, and depending <laughs> on the gathering they were at also depends on the clarity. Uh, because, you know, if, if you're the person who wrote in this question and you were at a first gathering, uh, it may have been uh, less clear at that gathering. And the second gathering, people may go, it was perfectly clear. Uh, and so that is one of the... <laughs> One of the realities when you do a couple uh, teachings each Sunday. All right, good luck. Just do some surfing. I guess. <laughs> the, the way I would characterize the, the three viewpoints are, are they sequential, are they cyclical, or are they recursive? Mm -hmm. So if they're sequential, they happen one order after the other. If they're cyclical, each when you get to the end of the seventh judgment in each one, that's when Jesus comes back, and then we go back through the cycle again with the second set, and you get to the end of the with Jesus coming back, and then you get to the third, and you get to the end of Jesus coming back. The third one that they're recursive means that the the seventh seal contains the, the seven trumpet judgments and the seventh trumpet contains the seven bowl judgments so that they're recursive like a Russian nesting doll. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't think that necessarily um, the recursive nature of it necessarily is exclusive of the other two. So I think you can believe that they're sequential and still believe in the recursive aspect mm -hmm. or that they could be cyclical and be recursive because I think the recursiveness is more a literary device than it is a description of the chronology. Yeah. Um, so I don't think they're necessarily mutually exclusive. Yeah. yeah. I, I think if there was some confusion about the cyclical view, you could describe it as um, being able to look at uh, like a diamond, right? To fully appreciate it, you have to see it from different angles. See every uh, angle, how the how the light is hitting it, every single facet of that mm -hmm. diamond to truly get the the fullest picture of uh, the beauty of that diamond mm -hmm. and the fullness of that diamond. And uh, the Bible does that in in, in other things, like that we have the four gospels. So we see mm -hmm. Jesus's life from four different perspectives. Uh, we get to see uh, the beauty of Jesus's life fr mm -hmm. from these different angles and facets. So uh, you know that, that it's not an unprecedented thing in the Bible. Yeah, and I, I think when when it's asking, you know, how can you arrive at these different things from Scripture? And I, and we did talk about this in I don't know if it was the second podcast or uh, or the third, but you know, I think you know one is you see an intensity that increases mm -hmm. uh, yes. as you continue to read in the judgments. So as you read that and you read the intensity increasing, 
you could, yeah, some some could come away going, man, that's a separate, distinctly different because it, it's it's more intense than what was familiar uh, and similar earlier. So so there's some that that point to man the increased intensity um, and and go, oh, they're, they're all they're they're different essentially. But then also how you can get into uh, you know the cyclical and and that is uh, by seeing that man that that is so similar. Uh, as the other thing, and and also the seventh uh, for each of them is pointing to the return of Christ. There's like not another step uh, that we see after that seventh, and so that also points to this finality. Uh, and so that's where you can come away with from Scripture the belief that they're all within each other here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so hopefully that helps uh, a little more, if not. Pull one of us aside after a <laughs> gathering, and uh, and we'll be happy to to connect with you. That's for sure. We're 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 trying to do this to help create clarity, not uh, add to or compound on the confusion, because we know Revelation can be so so challenging. Um, the next question that we have is: Is Mystery Babylon the Roman Catholic Church? Uh, and and the person that wrote the question also wrote: I can't think of anything that would fit the description as well as they would. But like you all have said, uh, this has to be relevant in John's time, not just ours. The description seems fitting for Vatican City with its seven hills, purple and scarlet robes, uh, the gold, precious stones, and the blood of martyrs. Uh, So many Christ followers were killed in uh, the Reformation. Um, and so, uh, there are questions in regards to that, the, you know, when we've, we've just started talking about the mystery of, of Babylon. Um, and so would either of you like to respond to that one? Well, if this person believes that they're in good company, I mean, it's clearly the reformers with Luther and Zwingli and Calvin, this would have been their position. So, I mean, this doesn't come out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's not, it, it it's a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, the the second part is is an excellent part counter to that because the, we do know that Revelation is written not just to the people in the time of the Reformation. You know, mm-hmm. it was written originally even to the people in the time of John, and so mm-hmm. it couldn't have been the Roman Catholic Church because the Roman Catholic Church hadn't come about yet. Um, and I think it goes to something I think you said recently when talking about Babylon that Babylon represents that worldly system that stands in opposition to God and His people, and there are there are pictures of Babylon, I think, in every generation. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in in the original readers, it would have been the Roman Empire, clearly. Mm -hmm. And during the time of the Reformation, I I think the Catholic Church certainly had some, exhibited some of those things, perhaps. Um, And today, you know, there, there are still those in the world who are actively opposing God and his people as well, and they also are the spirit of Babylon. So I think each generation can see that type of Babylon, uh, and therefore, it is relevant for us in all times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it depends where you live too. Uh, you know, so uh, the that depends on like kind of what manifestation of Babylon you are kind of experiencing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, in America, where we're not necessarily uh, experiencing an active militant oppression, um, but we also see what the the economic pressure, the social pressure yeah. to assimilate mm-hmm. uh, to the the ways of the world, mm-hmm. and so um, you can see the manifestations of Babylon in different ways. But then you're in somewhere like North Korea, 
and you see the the full force of the dragon and the beast uh, being unleashed upon the church and the, and the pressure to assimilate is you will die if you don't and so that it, it also depends where you live and and uh, and then like you said Ken what what period of history you're living in that's really good uh, I I think I think one of the things that you know once again and, I, and I've been saying this in uh, the sermons but I I can't repeat it enough is God loves us so much he continues to tell us the playbook of the enemy and what the consequences are going to be what the challenges are going to be so so we can anticipate and know that to follow Christ uh, is it's going to cost and and there and you know I think Kyle you shared you know it it's going to look differently, especially where, where we live, you know, right now, I think we're just starting to hit that point where economically it's starting to put pressure on, on people to live for Christ. We're starting to see some of those situations, but man, on the, on the physical persecution level, yeah, there, we're seeing that around the world and we have been seeing it, uh, you know, even, uh, as John's writing this, we know that they're, they're dealing with this, um, in a very, very intense way. Uh, the next question uh, is in uh, is actually for you, Kyle. Uh, the, bring it on. <laughs> um, it says, I, I think Kyle said that the millennial kingdom wasn't mentioned outside of Revelations in a podcast. What about the book of Zechariah? It seems to refer to the future state of Jerusalem in which all nations will travel to worship God. And it even mentions the festival of booths. It seems that while it is redeemed, that Jewish tradition is continuing even for believers which seems to point to a period of Jewish reconciliation would help, which helps the millennial kingdom make sense to me. Just thoughts. Uh, let me know. <laughs> All right. I'll let you know. So, uh, this is where I feel like it could have maybe been a little bit more clear in that, uh, the views podcast that, that we did several weeks ago. So when I said that the millennial kingdom wasn't mentioned outside of revelation, what, what I mean by that is in the literal sense you don't see a period of a thousand years, uh, and specifically in this way, talked about outside of Revelation. You don't see the words millennial kingdom. You don't see a thousand-year reign of something or someone. Um, and so what uh, people do when they look at Zechariah is uh, after they, they look in Revelation 20 and they see, oh, um, is, is this a thousand-year reign of Jesus on earth a literal thing? Where else could I see that in the Bible? And then then they, uh, you know, look at Zechariah and they go, oh, it's talking about this coming kingdom where it seems like there's peace and prosperity, but it's happening in Jerusalem. Maybe that is what's happening right. uh, in Revelation 20. So, um, yes, it is not mentioned in, a, in that literal using the word sense, but it may be mentioned uh, in, in other elusive ways. Uh, so that's how I would uh, let that person know. Yeah. Thanks, Kyle. <laughs> Um, next question, how should Christians think about the present day nation of Israel in relation to the book of Revelation? Should we be unquestionably supportive of the nation considering the verse, I will bless those who bless you? I think that, uh, I'm going to take this in two parts because the first says, how should Christians think about the present day nation of Israel in Revelation? I think we covered that in a previous podcast that there are some who think that it's very relevant, and there are some who think it's not at all relevant, and there's some middle ground in there as well. So I don't want to re rehash that as well. Mm -hmm. But I think in the second part where it says, should we be unquestionably supportive of the nation, given the the, the blessing that we see in, uh, in Genesis, I think we have to be careful there when we say unquestionably supportive of the nation. Because even if we do hold on to an idea that that revelation is 
revealing a, a, a way in which God is still going to be involved with the nation of Israel. I don't believe that means we need to be unquestionably supportive of the nation of Israel, because if you look in the Old Testament, there's a lot of prophets that are very questionably supportive of the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. So there are when kings in Israel's history didn't follow after God, didn't follow the law, were leading people astray, God sent prophets to condemn them and to bring yeah. and to and to declare judgment against them. And so I think it doesn't mean when it says that we that uh, God will bless those who bless the descendants of Abraham, that that means that you can't hold them accountable if they're not living up to God's moral law, because the prophets themselves didn't do that. So mm-hmm. that idea of unquestionable support, I think we need to be really cautious on that and make sure that, yes, support of God's chosen people is is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But that doesn't give anybody carte blanche either. Mm-hmm. We still have to uphold what God's law says. Yeah, I think unquestionably supportive. That's that's a dangerous uh, that's a dangerous road uh, because as we know throughout Scripture, there is only one who is worthy of our unquestionable uh, support, mm-hmm. and uh, and so that yeah, that's a that's a great response uh, to that. Uh, what does it mean in in Revelation uh, chapter two verse seven about to the one who conquers? Who are these people who conquer, and what does it mean conquer as how, as as how many lives uh, we bring to Christ, or how much success we gain in this life? In other words, um, I, what I believe the question is correlating is uh, this word conquer with 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 success uh, in in this life, and and is it in uh, are are those two things attached? Uh, to our understanding of the word conquer in Revelation. When when you think of the word conquer, you also see the word overcomers. Mm. And I and I feel like uh that is 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 a much uh clearer posture to have with that word. Uh because what do we really see as 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 one of the main points of emphasis? What's what's the call to the church in Revelation to to endure, right? And and we also even see we're going to overcome by what 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 you know and I think uh, Kyle yeah Kyle preached on this what are we going to overcome it says by we're going to overcome by um, by by our testimony right by the blood of the Lamb mm-hmm. uh, and our testimony and so uh, and our testimony is is literally we get the word martyr out of this I mean it's it, it's our ability to to maintain our witness to hold fast to uh, to Christ you know during this and so. When it's talking about conquer, it's not talking about those that are going to be the most successful evangelists, those are going to have the biggest church, those that are going to bring the most people to God during that time. It's talking about those uh, those that just simply endure for the sake of Christ throughout this difficult, difficult time of tribulation. Revelation 14, 12, I think summarizes that. It says, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, mm. those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Yep. That, that to me summarizes what it means to be a conqueror. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it, it, like, like you said, when I preached on Revelation 12, uh, it says, you know, that for they love not their lives even unto death. That, mm. that's the, it's the endurance all the way to the end. Uh, that that's that's the key, and that that is how how you overcome. Because ultimately, uh, the the beast and the dragon, how how they think they're going to overcome you is by killing you, and by you being faithful even unto death, uh, never wavering, never uh, you know accepting the mark of the beast, uh, whether that's literal or symbolic, never following the ways of the beast. 
uh, even unto death, uh, you you show that they didn't have power over you, mm-hmm. and and so uh, you get to be resurrected when Christ comes back. You you win. <laughs> um, the next this is a great question. Uh, is the movie left behind? An accurate depiction of the end times, according to Revelation, and if so, why was Nicolas Cage the wrong casting decision to play the lead in that movie? Um, so, I guess, I guess for me personally, um, I would respond: I have not seen that movie, uh, so I cannot speak to how accurate. Uh, the movie Left Behind is. Uh, I know that there's been multiple movies and series, uh, but I don't. I I can't speak to that uh, movie in relation to its accuracy um, and why Nicolas Cage was the wrong casting decision. I can't speak to that other than uh, you know from what I've heard, Nicolas Cage he's he's needing money, and so <laughs> I think that was probably the right decision. Uh, for him to uh, play in that role, although I don't know what role he played even in the movie. <laughs> I, I, he was I, the main I, character, but I never saw I just I saw the trailers. But. Yeah, I, I didn't see it either, but uh, I don't really like Nicolas Cage as an actor, so wow. I would say it probably is the wrong decision just because it's Nicolas Cage. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and I saw the the original Kirk Cameron one. Okay. Um, okay. But uh, I don't know how that compares to, to the latest one. Um <laughs> But I did hear that Tim LaHaye wrote off the original one, which is why he wanted it remade. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what that means to the accuracy of that movie. Uh, Was he behind the new one? Uh, I mean, he has to he, he has to approve it being made. It's his story. So <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so we have we have something that that we can take away and go uh, and go do, which is watch watch this movie there and have go. an opinion is it on, on it. Netflix? There we go. <laughs> we'll have to figure out where it is. Yes. Um, okay. So during Steve's sermon, so this is clearly directed towards me, uh, during Steve's sermon about the beast, he mentioned that it would be clear if you were receiving the mark of the beast or that you would, that you wouldn't unknowingly receive the mark. I'm curious how he came to this conclusion since we know the antichrist is a, uh, deceiver. Um, and, and I guess, how I would help uh, break that down, and you guys feel free uh, to jump in. One of the things that I would say is uh, when you look at how deception and even like counterfeit, counterfeit, uh, counterfeit gospel, counterfeit Christ, right? Uh, when when you think of all those things, and and then we think of the mark of the beast. Uh, first, there, there's going to be some very uh, clear implications according to scripture for those of us that take uh, the mark of the beast. Uh, we, we see that uh, essentially what, what these people that are going to be doing who take the mark of the beast is they're, they're choosing to disregard scripture. Uh, they're choosing to say Jesus is no longer king. Um, it's going to be very clear that there are financial and economic ramifications for this uh, decision. And, th- and that's not going to be this confusing thing. I think the other piece uh, that, that comes into play is throughout the book of Revelation, as uh, the tribulation intensifies, you continue to see uh, Christ uh, clearly bring these global calls, these global like warnings uh, for everybody on the earth. 
uh, to to understand and know who he is, to to repent, to turn, uh, all of those things. So we see that uh, continuing to happen throughout the book of Revelation. And there's also a distinction, I would like to say, in regards to being confused by something and then taking the mark of the beast. Uh, you know, I can be confused and caught up in something versus choosing to give it my allegiance. Mm. And so I do think that there's going to be people that are confused, uh, that, that especially out the gate, uh, because we see, you know, essentially it's a, it's a fake trinity. It's a false trinity. There's going to be signs and wonders that look and sound like even Elijah and Moses and things like that. Uh, so there's going to be power. There's going to be a, a false, a fake resurrection of some kind. Uh, that we see there. And so there's going to be a lot of people drawn into uh, these miracles that we read about, right? But I think that we also need to be clear that as it intensifies, it's going to be more clear, like who you're for and who you're against. And and so I think that that we need to, that that as far as how can we say it's going to be so deceptive and counterfeit, and then yet how is it going to be a clear decision? Uh, it's it's going to be more and more clear as it intensifies. I think the book of Revelation makes a real distinction and and a clarity of th this idea of the mark. Because mm -hmm. in chapter 7, we see that God is going to mark his 144,000. Right. And then right. when you get to chapter 13, you see the beast is going to mark his followers as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think that distinction makes it really clear that you're either going to have the mark of God, or mm -hmm. you're going to have the mark of the beast. Mm -hmm. You can't have both. Mm -hmm. um, right. And so there's going to be that point of clarity. And all through the book of Revelation, everything is driving people towards a decision. Yeah. Are, are you on team Jesus or are you on the team beast? Right. Uh, and, and there's not going to be this, I'm not sure. It's going to be very, very clear. You need to make a choice and make a decision. And, and we've seen the remarkable thing is when we've gotten to the end of these judgments, how people know the judgment is from God and they still refuse to follow him. Mm -hmm. And, and there, it's, it's that, that clarity is so clear. And yet they still say, I will take the mark of the beast instead of following after God. And so I think, I think that the clarity of that decision point, it becomes more and more real as we get farther along in the book of revelation to where we have to make a call. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we see that, I mean, where where John uh, the imagery uh, that is used in Revelation comes uh, of the beast comes from Daniel, and we see in Daniel the choices that were presented to Daniel and his friends mm -hmm. were very clear: bow down to the idol, don't pray, eat this food. Uh, it, it was very clear: are you going to follow Nebuchadnezzar or are you going to follow God? And, and so you know we we can also kind of extrapolate from that that. Uh, in in a similar way, that that's what the choices will be like. Will you follow Babylon? Will you follow King Jesus? Yeah, and and I would say this also. This really goes into this uh, this other question that we also got, which is the spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well. What are some current false prophets uh, slash counterfeits in the United States that currently point to that? Uh, and as Christians, that who are those that you would say we should uh, avoid? Uh, and so I, I think some of these same defining characteristics that we talked about between the mark of the beast and the seal of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, I think that that we see a, a connection there uh, as far as then, then how do we identify the current false prophets, the counterfeits uh, that are out there. And we know that they clearly are. And it's getting, I would even say it's getting more and more difficult 
you know, in this time of, of fake news, right? Where, where finding truth for us, whether it's a news article, uh, whether it's even an image now with these, uh, what are they called? These deep fakes, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. like mm-hmm. even trusting what you're seeing that's being shared. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's so difficult now. Uh, and, and so many of us are getting, uh, confused, uh, in that the way people describe scripture, even those that, would would say I'm a spiritual leader, I'm a pastor, or I'm a theologian, uh, I'm a prophet. You know, all these things were, and these words were were seen. And uh, I I think we can go far into this, or or we can look at some of these defining characteristics. And so I'll just say this: here's some defining characteristics uh, it, that that we should be looking for. What do they do with Jesus? Whoever it is, whether it's a person, whether it's a movement, whether it's a religion, what do they do with Jesus? Uh, who do they say he is? Um, and they got to ask this question, is he the way, the truth, and the life? Is there any other way to the Father that they're promoting that's not exclusively through Jesus? And I would also say another clear indicator is when this person, this movement, their religion, when they're when they're sharing what they believe and why you should believe it, is it about Christ or is it about you? In other words, do you exist for him? Or does he exist for you? Mm. Those are some really um, clear things that I look for. How about you guys? Like what, when, when you think of, and I'll be honest, I'm, I'm probably, you know, I, I'm, I'm not up to speed on everybody that we would say, oh, that, that person is clearly this, you know, I, I definitely try to spend more of my time in truth versus exploring all the untruths, but mm. you know. Well, I think that's the right approach. I, yeah. I, I think the, the the more we understand the scripture, the more we follow Jesus, the more we follow his commands, we will we will know that. We'll mm-hmm. be able to identify. Mm-hmm. We'll be able to sense there's something off from what I'm reading mm-hmm. every day when I'm reading mm-hmm. my Bible. And you know, the, even Jesus said, my, my sheep hear my voice and they mm-hmm. know my voice. And so I think the, the, the emphasis here shouldn't be for us to call out and identify everyone who's who's potentially uh, has the spirit of the Antichrist as much as is spend more of our time getting to know who Christ is. And that mm-hmm. will be, that, that'll be the key for it. I, I will say you, you really hit, I was going to bring up first John four and you, mm-hmm. you kind of nailed that already, yeah. Steve, but first, you know, first John chapter four says, beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirit. Mm-hmm. And then he says, how by this, you will know the spirit of God, that every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is is not from God. And the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now in the world already. So it really comes down to what do you do with Jesus? Yep. And is he staying preeminent in all of the decisions and all of the presentation in all of the, uh, what is being promoted? Is it Jesus that's being promoted yeah. or is it that individual trying to promote themselves? Or is that individual trying to get you to, to promote yourself? Even, right, right. even in doing that, that's idolatry as well. Mm. So it, it's a it's a question of idolatry. Who are you worshiping? And that can take some discernment because it, it can be deceiving in that. But the question is, am I truly worshiping Christ or am I worshiping power or am I worshiping money or am I worshiping an individual or a person or am I worshiping prestige or am I worshiping Jesus? That's that's how you determine mm. if something is the spirit of the Antichrist or not. Mm-hmm. And And is Jesus God? I think that I, I, you know, when I, uh, when people come to me and go, what, you know, what, what about this religion or, you know, what, uh, what about this person that's, that's teaching this? And, 
Um, I think what's really tough right now is a lot of people will agree with you that Jesus is good. I love Jesus. Um, I believe in Jesus. And yet you still have to ask, though, um, is it Jesus plus something? Uh, is is Jesus actually God to them, to what they're saying? Uh, or is is he one of the options and he's a good option? Uh, is he almost there but not quite there? Because what we see in Scripture is Jesus plus nothing. I mean, he's everything, yep. right? And and yep. so he is the centerpiece of the gospel. And so I, I think we always have to be really leery because people will throw different things in there while still saying, I love Jesus and I'm about Jesus too. Uh, and some of these occults, man, they'll be singing songs that 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 you and I, we would probably sing uh, and yet not fully recognize what are the ramifications here? What what really is the agenda? And so we, we really have to be careful and, and ask those uh, questions daily, especially as we're filtering, whether it's news, whether it's uh, sermons, whether it's books we're reading, all these things, we have to filter through that. And if, even if he is God, is he like actually Lord of mm. life? Like, yeah. um, you, mm-hmm. you know, d- does he have the authority to call out your sin? Yeah. And for you to, even if you don't like want to uh, change your direction, repent and, and go the other way, I, I think that's a, that's a huge key because, um, you know, many early self-professed Christians would say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. He's the son of God. But then uh if their idol is touched by, you know, even by scripture or someone, right. you know, telling them about scripture, then they flip out and and it shows that, oh, actually, you know, their, their allegiance was to that other thing. Jesus was fine as long as he went along with everything. Yeah. I think one of the dangers we can have is we will find a Bible teacher who we really like. And, and before long, we find ourselves actually following the Bible teacher more than we're following Jesus. Mm, and I think yeah. that's where we get in a dangerous situation. Because even if that person is teaching the truth of scripture, if that person has more of your allegiance than Jesus does, you, you're setting yourselves up for deception, mm-hmm. not necessarily by that person, but because you've you've moved your allegiance off of there. And so we have to be cautious, regardless of who the Bible teacher is, who, regardless of the pastor or the leader is, your allegiance should never be to that person. Your allegiance mm-hmm. is to Christ. And and if we if we don't do that, that's that's the kind of thing that I think this the spirit of the Antichrist will take advantage of in deceiving people because they're going to show truth up to like 95% of what they say, and then they're going to twist the last 5%. Yeah. And so if we're finding our allegiance in the person, we'll be easily deceived by that that last 5% that makes it a wrong teaching rather than following after who Christ is. And I, I think we also also have to be careful. When, you, when you're talking about following a teacher, man, that's a huge one. Uh, I know for a lot of people that, that they're so um, ingrained in a specific, whether it's a pastor or a teacher, and that, and I have to be careful, obviously, I'm a pastor, you know, and a teacher. So, uh, you know, maybe it's me, I'm the problem in, in some of these situations. But but I think that, you know, one of the the other pieces here that that you have to to be able to spiritually discern uh, is, is you've got to understand and know, too, that we are in a time when pastors, teachers, authors, they are, they're throwing, uh, they're throwing a lot of... <laughs> Uh, haymakers or 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 they're they're judging each other they're calling out each other uh and and they're judging books ministries and that and for some of us uh w- because we follow a teacher then we start to actually attack other ministries other than and we don't even know about them and and so I think I think also we got to be careful yeah. because 
Um, I've heard people, you know, that will come up to me and say, well, that's of the Antichrist because I heard so-and-so say it is. And I'll say, well, did you listen to it? Did you hear it? Did you read it? And they'll be like, well, no, but so-and-so said that. And so I think that that to me, whenever someone says something like that, I go, ooh, yeah. that's, that's, yeah. Uh, that's, that's when you start getting on shaky ground and, uh, and none of us are above a mistake. Uh, and, and people's theology oftentimes shifts and changes over time as well. So you have to be careful that it is continually pointing back to Jesus. Yeah. If you start to equate someone's viewpoints with scripture, like, yeah, every, every viewpoint they have about scripture is the correct viewpoint of scripture. Therefore, what they have to say is scripture. Like, like they maybe wouldn't say that explicitly, but that's how they act. And, and that, that is where, where it gets dangerous. And, uh, I, I mean, the, uh, you know, Paul was dealing with this with the Corinthians, right? They're, they're like, I follow Paul, I follow Cephas, uh, I follow Paulus, like all, yeah. all these different factions. And, and that became uh, kind of their like identity marker was my team when mm. it should be, mm. are we following King Jesus? <laughs> yeah. <you know>? Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and, and so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's definitely, I, I think that's where um, we need to be careful is, yeah. Um, just because they they may be a, a good Bible teacher uh, doesn't mean that that they are a, another apostle, and we shouldn't treat them as such. Yeah, and I, you know, I I think too one of the things that I love is when people will I know come up to me and ask me, or 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 like ask me, what do you think about this? Um, I always love that because that's a very that's a humble approach mm-hmm. to something. Is you're yeah. seeking out counsel. And hey, I, I love what this person's saying, or I read this book. What do you think? You know, and I think that's a that's a healthy posture to have. Um, and 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 I have that posture. I'll I'll make calls or or ask people. You know, Kyle is in is in Christian publishing, and so uh, he's a great person that to lean into uh, for questions about what like books and things like articles that are coming out, and and some of the people behind those. And so I I think that there's a there's a humility in this as well. And Kyle, I love how you touched on, uh, we're also looking for those that will uh, essentially agree with what we want the Bible to say, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's the, man, that's the piece that we've seen just so prominent. Yeah, that's that's where it gets dangerous. Mm-hmm. And we there, there is a healthiness to reading everything that comes that's not from Scripture with a little bit of skepticism and and grabbing the stuff that we know is clearly aligning with scripture and then being willing to say, you know what, this other piece is maybe it's conjecture. Maybe it's, maybe I don't agree with it and Mm -hmm. it's okay for us. We need to have discernment in everything we read. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't just accept blindly. Oh, well, this is my favorite Bible teacher. So therefore I'm just going to take it. Yeah. Person could be wrong too. So we have to evaluate everything. The Bereans even evaluated Paul, you know, (laughs) uh, and he, and he commended them for that. And and I think we would all say, Hey, if we're teaching, you need to evaluate what we're teaching against the scripture because we're going to make mistakes on these things too. And so Mm -hmm. we have to be careful. Are you following person? Are you following Jesus? And let's be, let's be discerning even of the people who we know and trust as, as good Bible teachers. Amen. Um, thank you for joining us today. Uh, and I would invite you to join us in person this Sunday at 8.30 or 10.30 or online at 10.30 uh, as we continue walking through the book of Revelation. And if you want to watch the Nicolas Cage Left Behind, <laughs> it's on the Roku channel if you get that. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. Oh.